Proverbs 16, 6 says, by the fear of the Lord, a man departs from evil. This is a fear of God message. I, I knew this one was coming. This is part of, of going through the Bible. You can't skip over the chapters that are difficult. The, today, today is on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's called embracing God's right to judge. And I have been in fear and trembling all week as I have prepared. And we want to, we want our friend to tell us how it actually is, not how we wish it was. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend and deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. That this is, this is God's grace and God's mercy to us. He is at the very same time, he is a good father. He is a merciful savior. He is a passionate bridegroom. And he is a holy judge. Looking into his face as a holy judge is, is difficult, but really, really important. So would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? We've got three sections we're going to read. This is, this is Genesis 18. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? This is part of friendship with God. Could we go down to the next slide? Then the Lord said in verse 20, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done, if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. The men were actually two angels. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? So these angels go to Sodom, they, they, they go to the, the town square and Lot comes out and says, please don't stay out here, come to my house and they get to their house and the men of the city come and are pounding on the door wanting to have sex with them and the angels make them all blind and then we have this passage, this is Genesis 19, 12 through 29. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife 
and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. But flee quickly, flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. Verse 23, by the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. And then finally, this is Jesus in Luke chapter 17. And he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, look there, look here, do not go away, and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But he must first suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, hide me behind your cross. God, we want to look in your eyes as the holy judge, not just of us, but of the whole world. Would you align us with your thinking, with your heart, with everything that heaven is? Lord, we don't want to make you in our own image. We don't want to recreate a God that that we like or that that is more gentle. Lord, we want you as you are. Open our eyes, open our hearts, and do in our midst what only you can do. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So point one is that God will actively judge the earth. Sodom and Gomorrah are an example of what is going to happen in the future. Jesus said, it will be just like when Lot came out 
and judgment came. What happened then will be repeated. In 2005, Dr. Stephen Collins found the remains of ancient Sodom on the Kikar Plain. Nine feet down, he and his team found a layer of ash-laden, hard-packed soil that still stank like burned ashes. It dated to 1700 BC, the the exact time that that these events occurred. Even though it was prime real estate, the next civilization did not start building again until 1000 BC. So for 700 years, this was was undisturbed. In his book, it came out in 2013, called Discovering the City of Sodom, he writes, embedded in those layers are broken and tumbled mud bricks, smashed and charred pottery vessels, and other day-to-day objects and human bones all violently churned into an ashy matrix. God actively judged Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says he's going to do it again. Then the question comes is why? Why were they judged? Number one, for being ungodly. Here's 2 Peter 2.6. He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the greatest sin is to ignore God, to live as if God isn't important, as if God is not central, as if God is this addendum. The Bible says that that even now when people who know God, who, who know him through creation, who know them through conscience, who God's given evidence everywhere when they choose not to honor him as God or give thanks that God gives people over to a darkness of heart and of mind and they become ungodly people. So it's terrifying. Jesus said it's gonna be like the days of Noah and he doesn't list a bunch of sins people are doing. He says they were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. It's going to be like the days of Lot. People are just living their lives. They're, they're planting. They're buying. They're selling. They're marrying. They're, they're, they're just about the things of this world. And there's no longer any place for God. It is a, sexu- a secular culture that's just pushed God Oh, borrowing God's breath to do all that they're doing, borrowing the strength they've been given by God, and yet excluding God. It is called ungodliness. And one reason why the judgment will, the active judgment of God came then and will come again is ungodliness. We make our lives around us. And everything revolves around us. Me, 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 me. And we might even have a little religion there. Guys, that's not how it is. This thing doesn't revolve around us. God has to be the center. Everything revolves around him. The second reason that Sodom was judged was for being immoral. This is Jude 7. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing 
a punishment of eternal fire. So American culture has set itself against God. We have said in a thousand ways that it's okay to be immoral. You can have sex with whoever you want to, whenever you want to, as long as there's mutual consent. Sex is not, it's not just okay. We want you to know we approve of this. We want you to know it's actually unhealthy. Sigmund Freud has told us it's unhealthy to have a sexual desire and not fulfill it and not pursue it. And this is absolutely counter to the word of God. God God wants you to know there will be judgment on sexual immorality. There is no judgment for having unnatural desires. It says, but for pursuing unnatural desires. The idea that that God wants me to restrain myself, that that God has set boundaries up, this is this is how it is. And our ignoring this, our approving of others, us trying to get everybody, you do whatever you want to, whenever you want to, has created a devastation on our society that, that in every facet of our society. But we maintain our right. This is about us. We are the little mini gods and we have desires. And so we need to fulfill those. It's just like worshiping at a temple with prostitutes. And, and, and the, but the, the, the worship, the one being worshiped is us and our desires. And we need to be able to do whatever. And God says, this is why my active judgment will come. Jesus is the lamb and the lion. Isaiah 61 verse 2. Jesus, in verse one, he says, the spirit of the Lord's upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to, to open the, the doors of the captives and to, to, to open the eyes of the blind and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That is the year of Jubilee. That's the year where everybody gets forgiven. And when Jesus read this text in Isaiah 61, when Jesus read this text from Isaiah 61, in Luke 4, 18, it says he got done saying the favorable year of the Lord, and it said he wrapped up the scroll, and he said, this scripture has been fulfilled today in your hearing. This is where we are right now. We are in the year of God's favor. We are in the time. The, the word time is, is kairos. It is the kairos time. It's, it's, it's not chronos, which is our word for time, that God has these opportune times. And right now we are in the time of God's salvation. It's it, 2 Corinthians 6 uh, verse 2. In the time, the kairos of my favor I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time. There is a kairos open right now for God's favor, for God's salvation, for God's forgiveness. But that kairos is going to close at some point because Jesus didn't just come to be the lamb that would die for us and open up this window of favor. He is also the lion that will bring the day of God's judgment and wrath on this earth. The first time he slipped into human history in disguise, 
People didn't recognize, he came as a little baby. The Bible says the second time he's not coming in disguise, he's coming like lightning. He will fill the sky from one side to the other. This is when the sixth seal is broken. The Bible says that the nations will say, behold, the, the one who sits on the throne, the day of his judgment is, has come. They will be hiding in the caves. He is the, he is the lamb and he is the lion. When he appears in the sky like lightning, the first thing that he will do is he will rapture the church. Before the trumpet and bowl judgments come, he pulls the righteous out. We are not destined for wrath, but we are destined for salvation. This word here where it says that two women or two are sleeping in a bed and one is taken and, and two men are working and one is taken and two women are grinding in a mill and one is taken. That word taken there, it's a very special word in, in Greek. It's only used a few times. It's paralambano. It means to take take to one side in an act of intimacy. It is used in Matthew 1 about Joseph taking Mary to be his wife. It is used in John 14, 3, when Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and take you, paralambanu, you, to myself. We will meet Jesus in the air. The, he's the bridegroom thief. He will take us. We will have the wedding feast in heaven while, while this earth is being judged and, and trumpets and bowls and judgment will come on this earth. How sure am I that this will happen? As sure as Jesus came the first time as a lamb, it's that sure that he will come the second time as a lion. The only question is whether you and I will be ready for his coming. That is the question. That brings us to point two. Our need to behold God's severity. Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Paul says, see then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness if you continue in his kindness. For otherwise, you too will be cut off. To not behold God's severity puts you in danger of experiencing it. To say, well, I only want a kind God, I only want a nice God, I only want heaven and I don't want hell is extremely dangerous. When the angels first came and they, they, they blinded the, the men that had come, it says that he, they said, now, now tell everybody that's in your family, go and tell them it, this place is going to be destroyed. And so the first thing he does, it says he goes out and he speaks to his son-in-laws. But they don't believe in the judgment of God. They don't believe God's like that. And they ended up getting destroyed by God's judgment. It's very dangerous to not believe in hell. Very dangerous. In fact, it's the first step of ending up in hell is not believing that there is a hell. Guys, we can't decide what we like and choose it. 
The, the, the Bible says this is very human tendency and it warns us that in the last days people are going to have teachers that tell them what they want to hear. There is heaven and there is a hell. Jesus actually spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And it wasn't to threaten his enemies. It was to warn his friends. There is a hell. You don't want to end up there. We must be willing to behold the severity of God. In March 24th, 2022, it was revealed that a small stone was found on Mount Ebal with a proto-Hebrew script centuries older than anything found before. It's set on this little stone, cursed by the God Yahweh. You will die cursed. Cursed, you will surely die. The significance of this find is stunning. It dates all the way back to the time of Joshua. Moses had said, before you, when you're going into the promised land, he said, when you get into the promised land, half of Israel should be on Mount Gerizim, and they are to recite the blessings of God on obedience. And he said the other half needs to be on Mount Ebal and they need to, to give the curses of disobedience. And this all happens in the book of Joshua. Joshua makes an altar on Mount Ebal and an altar on Mount Gerizim and they proclaim back the blessings and the curses. So they find this writing under an altar on Mount Ebo. Mount Gerizim today is fruitful, there's life, there's action, there's stuff happening on Mount Gerizim. Mount Ebal today is absolutely desolate, absolutely barren. But they found an altar, and they found this little coin with, not a coin, it's a stone that has writing in it. Hundreds of years older than any other writing they've ever found. In, in, a, in a proto of before modern Hebrew, before ancient Hebrew writing. And it says this, cursed will be those who sin against Yahweh. Surely they will die. Do you know what the first lie was that, this, that Satan gave the human race? Here's the very first lie. Surely you won't die. Surely you are an exception. Surely this is just a threat and it won't really happen. And here we find, in 2013, we find the lost city of Sodom. And in 2019, we find this on Mount Ebal. Surely, surely those that sin are going to die. Why would God allow these fines now? Why, why can all of these biblical things be verified from their days? Why? God is warning the human race. I am real. These things happened. And those, those that sin will surely die. This is not a vain threat. So as we think about beholding the severity of God, if you don't behold his severity... If you're not willing to look at his severity, you will end up taking his kindness and his patience toward you as if God approves of your sin. Look at Romans 2, 4, and 5. Do you show contempt 
for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. When we sin, when we do our own thing, when we go our own way, when we ignore God, God, he loves us. So he, he, will, he, will, he will give us time. He will open up a time. He doesn't want to bring discipline right away. He wants us to repent. This is his kindness and this is his patience. He understands human nature. He understands our weakness, but he wants us to repent. He wants us to come back to him on our own. And when we change his kindness and his patience, and we take it as his approval that this is okay, and we justify our sin, and we justify what we're doing, and it's okay, and well, it wasn't okay for other people, well, it's okay for me, and here's why, and, and there's all kinds of ways to justify, well, I was just tired, or I've been hurt, or I've, been in, I've suffered a lot, and there's all kinds of ways to make yourself an, an exception. But what you're doing is showing contempt for the kindness and the patience of God, and you're putting yourself in a very, very bad place. So I wanna tell you guys a story of what happened in 1996. I saw the purest revival ever in 1996. And it wasn't in Toronto. I, I was in Toronto. We went, down the, we went to Toronto, saw that. We went down to Pensacola, saw the revival in Pensacola. But the purest revival that I've ever seen was in Sand Hill Lake Bible Camp. This is Faustin, Minnesota in 1996, the summer of 1996. So here's what happened. I was the worship leader that week. The youth pastor at our church is Shane Holden. Um, Shane was the camp pastor that week. And I had to ask Brian White, who just spoke here less than a month ago, to come and be our speaker. And Brian said... I'm not a youth speaker. You don't want me to speak at, at youth camp. I don't do youth. And he's like, and I'm like, Brian, you hear from God. That's good enough for me. We want you to come and speak to the youth. And so he agrees to come, and I will never forget Monday night. Now, I've been to camp all my life. Monday night at youth camp, the speaker is funny. The speaker wins the hearts of the kids by, by doing crazy stuff and having jokes. And they, they, they like the youth speaker on night one. And then into night two, we start getting down to, you know, what might be wrong. And, you know, the last night is, is you know, everybody come to Jesus. Well, Brian's never been to a youth camp. Brian doesn't know what you're supposed to do at a youth camp. So he comes and he speaks the hardest message I've ever, I've ever heard. And, and he, the way he gave it was so intense. So he reads about Moses hitting the rock the second time and about the judgment that came on Moses and Aaron. They didn't get to go into the promised land because he struck the rock. God had said, speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock once. And then there was this period, this short period. We don't know how long it was. But what Brian said was this. He said, here's what God spoke to me. He said, many of you, he said, maybe most of you 
you have already struck the rock once. You are in a time right now by the mercy of God where he is waiting for you to repent. That time might run out this week because if you strike the rock again, God's judgment is going to come on your life. No one came to the altar. Everybody was mad. People were, people were calling their parents to go home. People, we, found, we found kids out smoking. They were just trying to get kicked out. Just anything we can to get kicked out of this camp. We don't want to be in the, at this camp. And I'm the, I'm the guy that brought Brian. And I'm like, mm, this probably was a mistake. <laughs> we have five more days of this. And this, this, it just got started. No one, no one could possibly have anticipated what was going to happen. The next morning, Brian preached on God's desire to redeem and to show mercy. And these kids flocked to the altar. And God encountered them in a way I, I, I can't describe it, except that this will help you grab a hold of it. So at camp, there's a morning service and there's an evening service. And after the morning service until lunch, we have sporting events. And we have teams and we've got different competitions to make camp fun. We never had sports the whole week. And the reason why is because these kids wanted to testify. They would line up every morning. We would have worship, and then they would just start lining. Brian would come up, and he said, do we have any testimonies? And kids would line up every single day. Every kid in that camp testified that week. The, the evening services were going till past midnight. Kids didn't want to leave the presence of God. They were, they were the joy in that thing, the, the, it was insane. But it all started when God exposed their flippancy and their presumption and their complacency about who he is and about his, his right to judge their lives. We need to behold the severity of God. Point three, last point, valuing our salvation 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? So Pastor Greg and I were in the Dominican Republic and we did the whole book of First Peter for a group of 50 pastors. And this text was part of my assignment. And part of the difficulty of salvation is that the righteous are going to come through a lot of trials. The whole, the whole point of First Peter is unjust suffering and how you respond to unjust suffering and that, that if you'll trust God in the midst of your unjust suffering, God will use it to purify you and make your hope more bright and he will use it to transform you. And the, 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 the person that has suffered in his body has also ceased to sin and that God can use everything that happens, all of the difficulties of, of, of life the righteous will go through to bring cleansing to us. And that is part of 
the difficulty of the righteous being saved. But it's not the whole difficulty. There is a difficulty on God's part. Peter himself, when Jesus said to the the rich young ruler who in their minds was like the ideal man of God, he kept kept all the commandments and he was rich. That was, in, in those days, it was seen if you had a lot of money, you've got God's blessing on it. Clearly this man is blessed. And when, when, when he walked away from Jesus, Peter says to him, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? That guy can't be saved, who can be saved? And here's what Jesus said. It's impossible. With man, salvation. It's not difficult. Salvation is impossible with man. There's nothing man can do to save himself. There's no amount of works. There's no amount of religion. There's no amount of helping little old. There's nothing that man can do that could save himself. And then he said this. But with God, all things are possible. Now, I want to submit to you that it wasn't hard for God to create you. How did God create stars? He spoke it. Let there be stars. God is so powerful, that, and his word is so powerful, that just him speaking, it brings the reality. Let, let order come into chaos, and everything comes into order. Let light come into darkness. and God speaks, and it happens. I don't think God exerts a lot of energy creating. But redemption was different. Redemption was difficult. Redemption meant, see, God doesn't, it's not like God is like, he's, he's, sometimes he's a merciful savior and sometimes he's a holy judge and it just depends on which day you get him. No, he's always both. So how can he be both a merciful savior and a holy judge? Only by coming into the world, taking on human flesh and taking on himself the full judgment and wrath that a holy judge demanded on the human race. He took that all on himself. It was with great difficulty that you and I are redeemed. It didn't come easy. This is why it says in Philippians 2, it says because Jesus humbled himself and and took on a human form and humbled himself even to the point of death, a shameful death on a cross. Because of all that Jesus did, the Father has sworn something to him. He's given him the name above every other name. And he has said and declared every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is is Lord. Those in heaven... Those on earth and those under the earth. Under the earth, those are those, that's Hades. That's people waiting for final judgment. Those, everyone will confess him as Lord. Not everyone will confess him as Savior, but everyone will confess him as Lord. Everyone will embrace his right to judge. The zeal of the Father has determined it. Everyone will say, before they are judged, whether they go to heaven or hell, you have a right to judge me. The lamb who was slain has a right The one who has loved us the most has a right to judge us. This world is offended by God's judgment. And frankly, a lot of the church is offended by God's judgments. But if you're going to become a friend of God, you're going to have to get on the same page as God is. 
He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't share this with everybody. He shares this with his disciples. What's going on. He says, I'm sharing with Abraham what I'm about to do. And when he starts talking about the end times and how it's going to be like this, it's just his disciples. And he said, this is what's coming. You are my friends. This is what is coming. So because of this, we must value our salvation. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Here's verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. The theme of the book of Hebrews is three words. Don't fall away. There is this great salvation. Jesus came into the world and and with great difficulty purchased your soul. He has saved you by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, don't neglect the salvation. Don't drift from it. It is the most human thing, isn't it, to drift away? It, it, this is, you know what's scary about this? It's not, I'm not going to serve Jesus anymore. I reject Jesus. No, that's not, the, that's not what we have here. Here we have, it just, I'm drifting. And I'm going to more compromise, more compromise, more. I'm going to church less and less. I'm involved with people more, less and less. Oh, I still believe in Jesus, still believe it. But as you drift, it becomes more fiction than real. It's no longer real to you anymore. What is real is this world and what this world offers and my promotion, my desires and my, 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 and, and you drift away. And the Bible says, how will you escape? If those who heard Moses and the law that was given by angels, they didn't escape, they were judged. How will you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? The most terrifying verses in the Bible, and I didn't even include them here. They're in Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. I didn't even include them. I'll just tell you what they say. For those who continue to willfully sin, there's no longer a sacrifice for their sins. And here's why. They have counted Jesus' blood as being unholy. And they have insulted the spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. He wants to be generous to you. He wants to be merciful to you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you a new beginning. But the idea that you're going to take that grace and that offer and you're going to make it a license to say, I'll do whatever I want to do. Jesus has to forgive me. God has to forgive me. I prayed the prayer. I got news for you. He doesn't. Let me tell you a little about the present darkness. Last week, we talked about accepting God's purpose. We need to choose him in the present. Let me tell you what's part of this present darkness. Falling away. Bible says about the end times, many, the, the, the love of many is going to grow cold. Many are going to fall away. Many that used to serve, many that used to worship, many that used to be excited, many that wrote a book or made a CD or, or traveled around the country, and now they're not even a Christian anymore. That's part of the present darkness. We just need to be very careful, guys, to treasure forgiveness as a gift, not as our right. So he says that 
judgment starts with the house of God. So first, judgment, how, to judge, how does judgment for our sins work? Well, first, the whole point of it is that your judgment for sin has already happened, happened on the cross, praise God. God judged your sin, he judged my sin. He, he took our punishment on the cross. But, but presently, God, it says the judgment begins with the house of God. Paul explains it a little more in 1 Corinthians 11. Look at verses 31 and 32. I can't remember if they got there. Oh, they did. They added 31. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So Paul, they're at communion, and Paul says, you need to take a little time to examine yourself. And if you examine yourself rightly now, if you will say, yep, that's sin, that's sin, yep, God, I repent, God, then, then you, you come back into alignment and you are, you are right with God. But if you don't do that, if you don't stop and examine yourself. If you don't have a life that is continually examining where I'm going, what I'm, then what happens is, is God has to judge you now. And how does that look? Paul says when we're judged, we're disciplined. God's discipline for, for his children is, is his gift to his children. God makes your life really hard. How many knows that God can make you miserable? How many know that charismatic Christians love to blame it all on the devil? <laughs> the devil this, the devil that, the devil. Well, is it the devil or is God trying to stop you? Is trying, God trying to get your attention? Because he loves you, he delights in you so much and you're going in the wrong direction. Well, I'm just doing a little, little here, a little there. Well, Jesus said, watch out, it's like leaven. Sin is like leaven. It starts very small, but it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You gotta stop it. Stop it early. Don't let it grow. Its power grows, its deception grows. Stop it early. So what is God's plan for us? God doesn't like disciplining his children any more than you'd wanna, you know, you get up in the morning, I, I can't wait to spank my kids today. I just, you know, I, I, I hope they get out of line. I just, Ugh. no, you don't wanna spank your kids. You don't wanna discipline your kids. You want your kids to obey you. You want them to follow you. You want them to do the right thing without you having to, and you want them to be, just live in this garden of delight with you. That's exactly what God wants for us. All right, I'm gonna give you four people to not be like. Please, I beg you, don't be like the people of Sodom. Don't pursue your inordinate or unnatural sexual desires and just take whatever you want whenever you want it. Please don't live an ungodly life and forget God and just make your life all about you. Please, I beg you, don't. Do not call God on this or you will end up being part of the destruction. Secondly, do not be like Lot's sons and laws that they just didn't believe God would judge. They didn't believe that's who God was, that God wasn't about judgment, and they ended up being destroyed by the same judgment that destroyed the people of Sodom, destroyed Lot's son-in-laws. Third person not to be like, Lot's wife. Lot's wife 
Jesus gave a warning about Lot's wife. He said, remember Lot's wife. She, her life had been in Sodom. She, her relationships were in Sodom. Her house was in Sodom. Her garden was in Sodom. And they told her, do not look back. And she looked back. And here's the application Jesus made. He said, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Guys, we don't know if Lot's wife made it to heaven or not. We don't know. She's just a question mark. But she is a, she is a warning. She's a cautionary tale to all of us. Don't make your home, your car, your relationships, your retirement, your don't make that the big thing in your life. Do not. Don't have your life down here. You can have all those things and enjoy those things as blessings from God, but don't let them have you. You, we need to grab a hold of this salvation. We need to have our identity in heaven. We need to have our identity in the presence of God. We need to be godly people first. And then all of those things won't pull us away. Fourth person to not be like is please don't be like Lot. Lot Thank God he made it. Thank God he said in 2 Peter 2, 7, he was a righteous man. God had made him righteous. But Lot, Lot literally had to be pulled out of the fire. Lot didn't leave himself. He hesitated, he hesitated, and the angels had to grab him. So here's what I want to encourage you to become in Abraham. Ultimately, Sodom was not destroyed because of ungodliness or immorality. Ultimately, it was destroyed because God couldn't find a remnant. God, as Abraham prays, God is listening, and Abraham gets him all the way down to 10. If you find 10 like me in Sodom, will you save the whole city? And God says, yep, I'll do it. All I need is a remnant. If I have friends there, I can work. It's not just sin that can permeate a society. Righteousness can permeate a society too. But God's got to have something to work with. He's got he's to have some friends. What's that got to do with us in this day? Absolutely everything. We're in a very dark hour in America. And God's looking for friends. God's fixing to do something, guys, in our time, in our day. He needs a remnant to step up and say, I will not be like Lot or Lot's wife and just kind of barely be saved to get as much of this world as I can and just barely get enough Jesus to get me to heaven. Please. God's going to have friends that say, Holy Spirit, I repent. You know what happened to me Friday morning, early Friday? Of course, I've been meditating on this stuff all week. I couldn't sleep. It's like three in the morning and the Holy Spirit just started giving me an adjustment. Have you ever gone to a chiropractor? The reason why you go is because something's not quite right and you can't adjust yourself, but you can put yourself in their hands and then they just, boop, realign you. And God, God just realigned some things, some there was some entitlement that had gotten in and God just, God just said, I, I, I want to I realign you first. And then yesterday we had a prayer meeting. We have a prayer meeting on Saturday nights with some, some young adults and one of the young men. Um, and we have this worship time where we just have music playing and everybody just, and, w- and then we share what God said during that time. He said, I, uh, I repented. 
I, I, was, I was out. God welcomed me home during that time. I said, dude, you're the first fruits of what's going to happen tomorrow morning. God is looking for friends.